Hi. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. Sorry, voice a little squeaky at the moment, but um, yeah, welcome to Hit the Apex this week uh, following the Russian Grand Prix, but it almost seems a bit secondary at this point to all the other things going on. We've got the Bathurst 1000 on this weekend to talk about. We've got the footy grand finals from last week as well that we're going to recap, and I think we're a bit, we're okay, Baden. We're not going to choke up here after the the outcome of the weekend. Yeah, no, I think no, he's nothing okay. that theatrical. It was a <laughs> bit of heartbreaking, but all things considered, pretty good job. You've got to look at it from an objective point of view. So dust ourselves off and live to fight another day. Yeah, well, g- glad we can talk about it and reflect um, anyway later on. But let's talk about F1 first anyway, because we've got, uh, we're in the midst of another double header, of course, the Russian Grand Prix. Um, probably memorable for all the wrong reasons, you could say. Um, unfortunately which is the you know seems to be the case in the last few races this year anyway so Lewis Hamilton moving a step closer to a fifth world championship um, following I guess the win which was gifted to him strategically by Mercedes he's got an unassailable 50 point lead now and a third straight win this year too and that was all despite Valtteri Bottas having pole position and it was all down to an instruction that came from the team to protect effectively the championship lead, which if Lewis didn't finish first and finish second and Sebastian Vettel finished third, it would have been still a 43-point lead. But Mercedes thought they had to protect him in the lead and push it out to 50 points. So, yeah, you know, that was probably the biggest talking point over the weekend was uh, Valtteri Bottas, again, the wingman. Really, when you look at Mercedes, I've never seen this before. They're getting creative. Who would have thought that Bottas maybe would actually be, for once, oh no, fourth or fifth time this year on for a victory, oh no, just fall into line, just take two seconds off, back up into Vettel, go on to an alternate strategy, whatever it might be, and Hamilton, as much as he's dominated really since um, around Germany, uh, as much as that's been the case, Bottas has been so compliant that... It's just fallen into place for them and Ferrari. Um, we know about their own issues, and it's just not a good look all around. And really, just capped off what was a forgettable weekend. From from my point of view, there's very little to discuss. It's just getting to a point where disillusionment's pretty high. Yeah, regardless of that, though, um, it just seems that yeah, Bottas consigned to that role once again and how many times has he lost the opportunity to win a race this year it's almost countless I think China Austria Baku um, well Austria if you didn't have the DNF then of course uh, Hungary as well so plenty of opportunities go begging there for Bottas but looking back at the race so it was on the 26th lap sorry that um, we saw the position change it was after they had their one-stop pit stop to switch over to the soft tyres and they were sort of threatened by Max Verstappen running long um, into the first stint. He was leading the race at that stage after starting from the rear. Um, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari for once were able to undercut Lewis Hamilton and successfully as well and that left I guess Hamilton a bit unamused but wasted no time in passing it and that's I guess the story of the weekend is how toothless Ferrari looked in comparison to Mercedes who were on it throughout the whole weekend and Hamilton wasted no time to pass uh, Vettel to get that position back. So, probably the first weekend for the entire season where 
Mercedes has been clinical as much as we saw from qualifying at Singapore that they were in a league of their own, at least Hamilton. This time out, they just on a different page altogether. Well, and you do wonder if Ferrari's essentially thrown the towel in. Well, France was also similar to that where they were unassailable the whole weekend. But yeah, you know, whether Ferrari have thrown the towel in and whatnot, Sebastian Vettel with his body language too just doesn't seem the same after the last few races so who knows as far as this championship is concerned um what the outcome well we know what the outcome is but can something change it who knows but uh, max verstappen he was arguably probably the most entertaining part of the race in a good sense because he was up to sixth uh, from the rear of the grid in the opening lap. So, again, engine penalties, um, putting Red Bull down in the order. Red Bull and Renault and McLaren and half the grid basically Basic, starting well, at the rear. Yeah, quarter of the grid to half the grid, basically starting from the rear, leaving qualifying as being a, a damn squib because no one wanted to go out. So, you know, because because of that, let's all change qualifying as well, as they've been talking about, let's introduce Q4 or whatever. It's because these engine penalties is what's taking away from the spectacle, not because the format is um, maligned or whatever. But anyway, uh, so he led the race, did Max, um, but then finished sixth after the one and only pit stop he had. And there was talk that perhaps... um, you know, despite how quick he was and then being on that fast tyre at the end of the race, it was just a matter of conserving that engine, that new power unit that they put in the car. So that's why he didn't really make a charge towards the end um, as everyone would have liked to have seen. So he had to contend with sixth, um, Kimi Raikkonen alone in P4, that was the story of his race and Ferrari's race. Ricardo, great for him to finish fifth as well from the rear of the grid, doing the same thing that Max did, that long, soft stint uh, at the start. But, yeah, just looking at the top three again, you know, I guess I've never seen a more unhappier podium than um, in Russia with uh, Valtteri Bottas, of course, upset with the team and everything with the outcome. Russia's a track he's never been out-qualified by a teammate before, and generally he's been pretty strong on race day too. So what was pretty much a guaranteed win at his his best circuit, you know, they've pretty much engineered to favour his teammate. And, you know, do you take any crumb of comfort from when Lewis Hamilton says, you know, um, that I didn't deserve that win or whatever? Like, he'll still be pretty grateful that he got those extra seven points or whatever regardless of what he came out and said ultimately to the uh to the audiences it's cold comfort we know Bottas's position as much as he really spent the first third of the season arguably as the superior Mercedes driver Hamilton did seem a bit adrift probably until he got those victories under his belt at Azerbaijan and and Spain and for Bottas these body blows you wonder what it's going to do to his psyche in the long term and that frustration when you see him coming to the pits and not so subtly uh, maneuver that um, number two board um, he's clearly um, keeping his mouth quiet when it comes to the remarks but internally he must just be uh, boiling and and you have to think at this point if Hamilton's so comfortable with this lead if they're not going to let Bottas win at this point of the season when Ferrari back in 02 whenever it might have been it was in the first first quarter first third of the year when there was still a lot up for grabs I think that Bottas is going to wonder if he's ever going to be given a, a chance yeah the Finns basically this year have been winless and for those reasons as well so what does it do for Bottas in the long term as you say it's um pretty damaging you could say and you know 
even being being with the best team on the grid you know he won three races last year he had two pole positions this year as well but it's just yeah not really come together for whatever reason and especially being engineered as well to favor the other driver that's you know from a sporting perspective it's not the best thing to see like i'm sure everyone would have felt the same um and whatnot and when you look at the end when we look back at this championship at the end of the year we might say well you know what was that you know that that seven point buffer or whatever between first and second you know it almost didn't make a difference so you know still 50 points for lewis hamilton it's almost uh two well it is two race wins um in excess of Vettel so there's going to be a whole lot that has to go wrong for Hamilton now for Vettel to claw back those points so Bottas ultimately loses out because you know what was a guaranteed win for him just got stripped Uh, at this point you'll see the piecemeal victory perhaps at Abu Dhabi when it's a clinic from Mercedes as it's been so often since 2014 and for what it's worth that won't be one where you can look back and say oh well Bottas here dominant you'll know that Mercedes have just given him some sort of um, salute for a year of pain and then from Ferrari's point of view you do look at it now and that lead could easily double the way it's going the wheels might just fall off altogether and uh, you, you honestly um, couldn't wait for this year to to wrap up the way it's going it's it's really got very uh, striking similarities to 2013 when we had that close battle and we thought Ferrari finally they're going to nail it and that never eventuated and on that occasion Vettel won nine on the bounce this time there's a good chance Hamilton will come close to winning eight out of nine as it stands it's hard to see Mercedes dropping another race of the remaining five yeah you probably could argue that Red Bull are closer to a win or whatever somewhere like Mexico or Brazil if the weather goes uh, crazy as well but um, moving it on I guess team orders was the story of the Russian Grand Prix and Force India as well had to a sort of lesser degree that than Mercedes had. So they had a few position swaps between Perez and Ocon. Um, Kevin Magnussen made himself a bit of a wall um, in P8. They struggled to pass him. And then Perez on the radio saying, can you let me ahead of Ocon so I can have a go? And because of the dramas in Singapore, they had to change their rules of engagement. And basically, they're not allowed to fight each other. But, you know, strategically, it's like, oh, well, you know, can you let Perez pass to have a go at um, Magnussen? You've got three laps to pass, Kevin. If you don't do that, hand the position back to to Ocon. So they played the race pretty safe. You could say Force India. They scored, you know, P9 and P10 and got some points on the board, which is probably more critical for them, um, given that they had their points stripped and they've got to fight back. And they're being, I guess, optimistic in targeting McLaren where they are to to finish in the Constructors' Championship. And I think they're 20 points or something behind them, given where McLaren are at the moment. You know, I clearly see Force India perhaps catching up to them before the end of the season. But, yeah, great race from Magnussen instead um, for eight for Haas or whatever. But a lot of criticism as well that he's, uh, you know, moving around a lot and trying to just basically blocking like he shouldn't be. It's been a bit of a narrative for the the entire season when you date it back to Azerbaijan, the, a lot of acrimony, and, and, and you can see that he's, he's clearly developing quickly, but he's got a pretty uh, brash style, and as far as that goes as well for Perez, uh, his history certainly gets his elbows out, so it was refreshing to see him this time playing the team game and knowing his position, I'm sure the 
the law was laid down by Otmar Zafnauer following Singapore there, and they know what's at stake as far as recuing the points to that, you could argue, rightful position they were in before they had to start from scratch at Belgium. Yeah, exactly. So getting those points back is probably the more most important thing at this stage. And, you know, again, ninth and 10th, a good result for those guys. Um, lonely 7 for Charles Leclerc too, who actually... Um, I guess it was overlooked. He scored Sauber's best uh, qualifying result in the hybrid um, era. So they were seventh. He finished seventh in the end. So great for him. He just continues to go from strength to strength. And, you know, we talk about riding off this year now and not really, you know, just looking forward to next year and everything. And Leclerc's probably that thing, the next big thing, you got to say, in that Ferrari seat. Um, Vettel, I guess, just tripping over himself for the whole year or for the most part of the year now. So is Leclerc Ferrari's uh, next best next best thing? Sorry, as far as winning a championship is concerned, and it's pretty damning, I guess, to talk about Vettel in that way because you know he came over from Red Bull off the back of four championships, and you know he was touted as being the next Schumacher, and also just part of that Ferrari revival and it's just gone really nowhere you could say since he came in 2015 so does Leclerc's arrival next year mark the the start of what will be a new era for Ferrari and also an era of championships when the season started and that initial talk was there of Leclerc joining from next season with Vettel um, really looking quite dominant the early races you thought Leclerc will come in and spend a few years finding his feet and that little umming and ahhing period where we thought it would be status quo with Raikkonen remaining and Vettel would be the alpha dog but as it stands now um, Vettel just losing his way for a second season on the bounds Vettel's really got um, first few races of 2019 and if Leclerc does what Hamilton did with Alonso I don't think there'll be any issues from Ferrari's upper management to say go for it and that could be his chance gone and you do sense that Vettel's frustrations and all this talk about him calling the shots from the the cockpit for for strategy and, and whatnot, things could come to a head pretty quickly if Leclerc's on his game from the outset. Yeah, and that could create tension and ultimately, you know, we know how Vettel responds when having a strong teammate. 2014 is probably that key season if not you know the time spent with Mark Webber but 2014 when Daniel Ricciardo came in and basically made mincemeat of the reigning world champion of reigning four-time world champion as well so you know do Ferrari lose patience with uh, Vettel or is it Vettel that loses patience with Ferrari you know it's that's going to be one of the big things to look at next year so Alonso lasted five seasons and it was two seasons short of his uh, contracted tenure so there's a, every chance Vettel and you see in Formula One contracts are broken routinely so you, stranger things have happened could he yet be on his way out if uh, Ferrari sees Leclerc as its future yeah exactly so that's plenty to look forward to in that respect but drives of the day hard to go past um, Verstappen for this one just uh, carving up the field circuit where they say overtaking is not very difficult I think he just put on a masterclass and yeah you know to finish six in the end I guess we would have hoped he would have been on the podium but you know sixth I guess is still a good result for Red Bull and I guess it's you know what can you really expect from Red Bull going into the end of the year like yeah they're talking about Mexico possibly a race win there but you know it's just marked time basically you know they're just marking time before they end this uh partnership with Renault and look forward to next year where they get a new driver in Pierre Gasly and also Honda Power as well. 
A bit of a shame for Ricardo on this occasion. His best result, essentially, um, since since Hungary, that great gritty drive to fourth, and how long ago it seems a triumphant victory at Monaco. But yeah. when you look at um, the way he had some damage at the start there, and people saying. He's way off the pace. He's nowhere near where Verstappen is. He ultimately finished ahead of him. And yeah, they're just well, saying, oh, well, he's, he's got nothing to, to match him. And credit's got to be given to him. He's been so afflicted by reliability probably about 80% of the time since Monaco that just wants to draw a line under it and start afresh. Yeah, well, no podium since Monaco ultimately. And yeah, front wing damage as we saw. And then he had to have that front wing replaced, which then ultimately he got the pace back. So, you know, what does he look forward to over the next five races or whatever that he's got left under the Red Bull umbrella as well and I'm guessing he'll be a, well he was a very happy man of course with the football outcome but mm, we'll talk about that a bit we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later so yeah let's move it on to Japan now so it just seems like this whole year has been built around double headers triple headers and again we found ourselves I think this is the second last there's one more double header to come with Austin and Mexico in a couple of weeks time but yeah Japanese Grand Prix could be a damn squid for all we know as far as the race weekend is concerned. Well, um, it's certainly secondary to other <laughs> events as it's been the case in previous yeah, years. Yeah, of course. The clash between Japan and Bathurst always annoying for us Aussies here. But yeah, there's a typhoon alert out as there always seems to be every second year in Japan. So five races remain. Hope fading for Ferrari. What if a typhoon just wipes out the entire race or whatever and we don't have a race? We saw it happen at Silverstone with the MotoGP um, last month where they actually ended up cancelling the um, race on Sunday so that round was effectively rubbed out and 25 points goes begging for the championship contenders so what if that happens this weekend I, I'm putting not going to put my money on it but I've put it out there that potentially it could be a, a possibility Knowing Ferrari's luck they'll dominate the weekend barnstorming drive to pole then the typhoon will hit and that'll be another chance gone and effectively 50, 50 points with uh, four races left it'll be um, almost uh, mathematically off the the table and and I guess from the perspective of Bathurst we'll talk about soon it probably wouldn't be a great loss from where we're standing because it's more (laughs) like an obligation to watch this race when it sits alongside as much as Formula One's what the the year's about it really does pale in contrast. Yeah exactly having Japan on I think it's at four o'clock in the afternoon which is still in that last two hours of the Bathurst race as well but um, yeah you know given what happened here in 2014 and the tragic outcome of that race um, with Jules Bianchi of course they should probably be a bit more cautious about the weather and the conditions as well and I reckon they'd probably lean towards um, if they had to ultimately um, can the race if if come if need be but yeah like they've got that window if they can start a bit later and avoid the the typhoon that would be beneficial for everyone I guess but yeah it's Japan another fortress for Mercedes since 2014 three out of four wins in that time for Hamilton here Um, he's equal with Vettel with four wins in total and then when you look at Ferrari's record here, they've not won since 2004. So really, you know, probably a couple of months ago, you would have said Suzuka would have been a great circuit for Ferrari given the strength of their car. But given the uh, demonstration in Russia from Mercedes, you almost doubt that, you know, they're going to get anywhere near. There are some similar characteristics. You could say some of those sweeping turns of Russia to Suzuka so there's every chance Mercedes will run a pretty similar package here and, and Ferrari probably uh, forget they've still got to take some of those 
power unit penalties at some point where Mercedes cycled through those earlier in the piece. So it doesn't bode well that between here or that altitude factor of Mexico, something's going to give for the Ferraris. Yeah, exactly. And you'd, where you expect them to be strong, they're just not delivering and whatnot. So, you know, Mercedes had the better car in Russia. Can Ferrari respond with upgrades? Is it, there even any point? bringing upgrades now you know do they look forward to 2019 they're bringing an upgrade that's right on the um the decals they're bringing their new philip morris endorsed sponsor that'll power them another 100 bhp yeah you know go, of... go faster stripes or whatever put that onto the car so yeah you know 2017 it was a dnf for sebastian vettel and that pretty much ended his title hopes back then and we saw with hamilton winning that race it was a 59 point uh, lead in the championship he had and then two races later in Mexico he ended up clinching the title so um, yeah really he's going to have to look at a Hamilton DNF um, this weekend to even have the faintest of hopes like even if he wins the race Hamilton's got to not score points or um, have a DNF for the um, title to sort of be back on but you know given what's happened in recent races we wouldn't be counting on it would we? I'm anticipating the way things are Going Hamilton will win uh, the championship with three races to spare. So was, is it a uh, Austin or is it Mexico first this year? It's US, isn't it? Yeah. So, so Mex- uh, sorry, Austin will be first, and I, he's clinched the title there yeah. before back in 2015. So don't count on it being. Uh, don't count out it being happened. Uh, do not count it out that it'll happen again this year. This is the way, uh, really, Ferrari needs to win and Hamilton needs to not score any points just for it to be back to anything resembling a championship. And Hamilton, as they keep mentioning, can cruise to P2 or even P3 at this point and still have it in the bag. But as, That's but, how much but leverage as, he has. But as we saw in Russia, that could have been the case in Russia, but as we saw, Mercedes still changed those positions just so Hamilton can win and put the lead out to 50. So if they're still going to adapt that same mentality, then forget even Bottas trying to win a race. They're all gonna, Mercedes are going to keep uh, throttling Ferrari and just win every race if they can. So, you know, there's not much hope in that sense. But um, if the weather is a bit topsy-turvy and if uh, we do end up racing on Sunday, Red Bull, they've taken their engine penalties, hopefully the last time this season. So could they be up in the mix in Japan? Like, they were pretty dominant back in um, the V8 era with uh, Sebastian Vettel winning three of the four races back uh, 2010 and uh, 12-13. So, you know, they could potentially be on to have a good weekend as well mm, they, they will and even with their perhaps reversion to the newer spec uh, pu um can still sense there'll be some heartbreak in the offing particularly for ricardo it seems as though one or the other is being addled by it and probably russia the only reason they avoided it was because they took the hit earlier on but it does seem as though there's some inherent flaws in that renault yeah exactly so you know if it comes up uh, comes apart you know tough luck for them but Honda it's their home race first race for them back at home without McLaren being a partner and McLaren basically abusing him on track or Fernando Alonso publicly abusing him on track or whatever so they're actually the title sponsors of the event so it's the Honda Japanese Grand Prix so I wonder if that's a little thing to rub a bit of salt into the McLaren wound there who've not been doing well anyway this season but yeah they're looking at bringing a engine upgrade this weekend for Toro Rosso so you know if all goes well they could have a new power unit in the car new engine and whatnot and basically just show them what they're capable 
capability is heading into next year and whether it'll please the eye of Helmut Marco and Red Bull as well. <laughs> <Very> you <clever>. know, <laughs> um, you know, that's probably a nice little taster for next year if they have a good uh, package this weekend. Could be called ground zero for that Red Bull relationship here. You probably see a lot of civilities in the hospitality unit as they, they form the basis for things to come. So Honda will want to acquit itself well with a good result um, through Toro Rosso and, and Red Bull probably wanting to to really snooze up with them and, and make sure that they, they get things off to the best possible start. And again, that um, finish line at Abu Dhabi for all those parties, especially for Renault, the acrimony, which is come across since that championship run ended in 2013 um they're both looking for the exit yeah exactly and we did see pictures of the Toro Rosso drivers at the factory for Honda in Sakura earlier in the week so you know I guess uh buttering each other up ahead of next year but I still get that feeling that next year um given Red Bull's history with engine manufacturers in the past that things could get a bit salty if Honda don't deliver and you know what's the difference between there's there'll be no difference between how McLaren treated them and also with Red Bull Red Bull if anything probably more saltier when it comes to relationships than McLaren was back uh with Honda last year and the years before give it till second practice at Australia and if they're not P2 it's, oh, I don't uh, give it till second over. I don't give it till second practice I give it to second day of testing <laughs> next year in Barcelona and already it will be like you know a repeat of mclaren's 2017 oh cyril do you mind if we come back and use the renault power unit we realized a mistake <laughs> now i don't do i don't picture helmet being of the uh, the begging type anyway he might hold cyril to ransom if you don't give me these renault power units back then you know i will shoot your dog or something like that but anyway um enough of f1 so yeah hopefully uh, well you know what can we expect you know hamilton dnf hamilton scores no points and vettel wins that's probably the best outcome for the championship but otherwise if yeah it's another mercedes masterclass then expect by austin or even uh, well no mathematically mexico is probably the location again for hamilton to wrap things up so yeah by the way end of october it looks like it's gonna be in hamilton's clutches yeah championship over in october so other thing the other thing happening in october happening this weekend is the bathurst 1000 so it's probably the race as we've talked about all podcasts so far that we're more excited about and yeah you know it's going to be a huge one this year given the the way that the championship is going as well and it almost seems that the championship's a bit secondary this weekend um even though there's 300 points on the cards for whoever wins bathurst but yeah it's the individual glory of winning the bathurst 1000 which is more important so yeah you know do you look after your championship or do you want to win Bathurst? And given that both championship contenders this year have not won a Bathurst, Bathurst 1000 before, um, you know, where will their loyalties be? And we've heard Shane Van Gisbergen already say that championship's more important for him than winning Bathurst at this stage. So he did that. He had that same mentality in 2016 where he was runner-up in the race to Will Davison and John O'Webb. And he went on to win the championship ultimately. So, yeah, you know, what do you what do you decide when it comes to that? There's probably more impetus on those who have won a title in the past and perhaps haven't had the ultimate success at at Bathurst. You can see Van Gisbergen and McLaughlin have come really close either qualifying or or race day, and um, I guess 
2014, 2015, was it? Van Gisbergen with about eight laps to go, he stalled it, and that was devastating for him. And then last year for McLaughlin, he came so close to the title. So he'll be uh, in lieu of the fact as well that he's probably um, been off his game the last few races. He'll be being <coughs> a little bit more conservative, and as much as he'll want to win here, he'll see that bigger picture. He'll, he'll still want that title as much as victory here is something huge and for someone like a win cup say i think you can see him prioritizing a win here when he's uh he's been um seven-time champion and it's eluded him so many times in previous years possibly for his own making maybe he's been a little bit stubborn and obnoxious in carrying on defying team orders maybe this time he'll just go all out and, and try and make this his priority for the season well the way we saw sandown um from Triple Eight and Win Cup and Dumbrell in particular, it's a great taster for what to expect at Bathurst. But you know, even they can go out and dominate Sandown like they have in previous years. But then Bathurst is a completely different game altogether because you've got so many variables that can disrupt um, their <laughs> you don't races. Just go out and have a processional 160 yeah. laps. Yeah. So <laughs> as we saw in 2016, wasn't it where you know Win Cup Dumbrell led for like 100 laps or whatever processionally, but then you know. In the last 61 laps, we have one safety car, then one, uh, one safety car ultimately breeds another safety car, and then chaos, then he ended up, uh, what was it, the red light on the safety, safety car light that he missed or something? No, that was in 2015, but yeah, something happened again to his chances in 2016, So, and then last year ultimately having some tyre failure as well, so um, yeah, you know, they'll be looking at trying to just have a clean weekend, but it's very hard at Bathurst, but one thing that they'll look forward to is the fact that Sunday weather-wise is going to be clear Saturday too with for the top 10 shootout which is always exciting but yeah you know between the championship contenders as you were saying before the target if they're not going to be going for the win if they're not in the position to win it's going to be about actually just finishing the race because what happened to McLaughlin last year is that he was not classed as a finisher it was a DNF which means he won't score he didn't score points and with supercars as well, you score points all the way down to last place. So it's going to be about actually just being classed classed as a finisher, sorry, and scoring those points. Because ultimately, I think it might have been those points that he lost in Bathurst that cost him in Newcastle at the end of the year. wasn't much. It was seven points or something to that effect. Yeah, so if he, even if he had seven points in the bag at Bathurst, it could have been a different game come Newcastle. But yeah, so it's about finishing the race more or less just to score those points if you're thinking about your championship but yeah if you're in that position at the end of the race with say 50 laps to go or whatever in the final stint to to be in contention for the win then of course you're going to go out all guns blazing and 2016 unfortunately yeah sorry 2016 with win cup was when he crashed into mclaughlin sorry into the chase and took out garth tander as well so three contenders for the win there ultimately eliminated and we saw the acrimony there um in the fallout it does seem more often than not that an unlikely source is uh, on top we had um davison and, and webb in 2016 and last year we had reynolds and um luke yulden so chances are that the the main contenders for the title end up minor place contention rather than outright victory and and you'd think this occasion there's always some spite in those closing laps just when you think they're settling down one 
bit of uh, hot-headedness and there's, there's chaos. There's always a safety car that throws strategy out the window. Yeah, you know, come those... We've even seen Craig Lowndes guilty of it, I guess, back in 2014 where he spun Winterbottom round going into turn one towards the end of the race. So, you know, that could have been another Bathurst in the bag for him. And I guess a special race too for CL because it's his final Bathurst as a full-time driver. Can he record a seventh win um, before he steps into the co-driver role next year? You know, and then he'll be within two Bathurst wins away from equaling Brock's record. So that will be quite special for him, but also a special race for Ford because it's the last time that the Falcon will race at Bathurst too. And you look at the Falcon in history, you know, such a long history for that particular model at Bathurst. And I guess the FGX has not won a Bathurst 1000. The previous model won two in a row going back to 2013 and 14 for FPR. So, you know, can they send the Falcon out on a good, uh, on a high note too with a victory between Tickford, I guess, DGR Penske and also the Milwaukee racing team? As crazy as it sounds, this might be... Um whatever you want to call them, FPR, Pro Drive, Tickford these days, their best chance to break the, the duck. It just seems as though um, you mightn't have form across uh, standard events, but it's so unique here that if you have the, the right package on the day and you just keep it out of the wall and, and you're anywhere in the top five with 20 laps remaining, then you're as good a chance as anybody. Yeah, well, they do have three Bathurst winners in in their camp, so with uh, Mostert, Winterbottom, and, of course, Steve Owen too. So, oh, wait. Has Steve Owen won Bathurst? I don't think so, actually. So, yeah, between Winterbottom and Mostert, I guess, yeah, you've got some uh, high-level operators there. And I guess a poignant race too this year with the uh, passing of the four-time Bathurst winner Bob Jane only last week. So amongst all the, the footy finals and everything, that bit of news came out. So his battle with cancer, unfortunately, um, being lost there. So, you know, Bob Jane, a legend of Australian touring cars and uh, the Bathurst event as well. So there will be a fair bit of emotion around that this weekend too, I'm sure. Yeah, very fitting that it, it did coincide within a, a week of the great race and you hope that the spectacle that's um, put on come Sunday is fitting of his memory. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's just going to be one of those weekends where, you know, it's just going to be so, you know, who wins? You can't really predict it. It's just basically waiting till that, those final laps, you could say, um, come Sunday to see who's in contention and whatnot. And, you know, we enjoyed certainly last year the David versus Goliath um, battle because Erebus won the Minnow team and everything. And it was a monumental win in, in David Reynolds' career and also for Erebus Motorsport as a team with given their history. So, you know, can we see something like that happen again this year? Will Triple Eight have a masterclass? Can Craig Lowndes, um, you know, add another chapter to his increasing history book as well here so you know a lot of storylines and narratives to play out and that's the best part about Bathurst is that it's just you know the whole just you know thinking about it sends shivers up your spine and everything and looking at you know classic images whether you're reading through old books or reading old articles or watching old footage or whatever it's just yeah one of those racetracks that just has an aura about it which you don't get at a lot of tracks around the world and each edition, every year, there's a different story to tell that will be written into to folklore, and it's almost hard to, to keep up when you go through the the books. Um, it almost blends into one. It's just this mythical monster, and uh, when when you never know in 50 years' time, people will look back on this, and it's going to be up there as some 
not just in terms of motorsport, but as far as general events, it's just something else altogether. Yeah, well, given Australian uh, Australian sport, the Australian sporting calendar, sorry, um, everyone views Bathurst as not even being a supercars event even. It's just like a standalone uh, day in the year, like a f- footy grand final or whatever, or a rugby grand final or a boxing day test match or whatever, where it's a standalone event and, you know, it's just celebrated by everyone rather than just race fans. So that's, I guess, the, the great thing about it. So, you know, we look forward to it again this year and, yeah, just watching first practice this morning, it was just like, oh, you know, it's that time of year again. I'm so excited, you know, look forward to it now. Um, given that it's already here and as is often the case blink and you miss it and it's all over so you've got to go along for the ride and um, as you see the most unpredictable outcomes often come to pass yeah so plenty on then this weekend as far as the racing is concerned and also with Bathurst as well there's going to be a fair bit of content on my end to put out across the weekend too so stay tuned for that as well so let's um get rid of the racing now to talk about footy for the last time this year um it's hitting the post as always uh and our grand final review so um i guess it was a bit of a not a fizzer across both codes but probably not the outcomes that we would have personally desired but uh, more so for you given the afl um with west coast snatching the thriller of a game from the magpies and in the end it was a just over a goal that um, separated it oh, as under well. a goal. Under a goal, sorry, that separated the outcome seventy nine to seventy four, and you know the last quarter was probably one of the most exciting that we've seen in ages. And I guess the whole game itself was, um, yeah, pretty pretty thrilling. It was not the blowout that you foresaw um, coming into it. Oh, I'd never say I thought Collingwood never had a chance, or vice versa. But it probably um, it's one of those grand finals that was needed few years gone by it's been almost over at the the first break and it did seem for a time there it might have been in Collingwood's favor but the game was very much the first 20 minutes and the rest with the west coast probably were superior when they kicked the the last two goals of that first term for the rest and it was amazing that the lead that Collingwood had was so narrow from that point west coast whittling it away and they were holding on to it until two minutes remaining and that was all that it came down to one kick one goal and west coast by the the barest of margins and um just exhilarating stuff really you can see the just how tight it was in terms of um in defense it was really played a lot on west coast turns and from a objective perspective as much as as you devastated to to lose as a collingwood supporter uh you can't ask so much more from a grand final and Going back to the start of the year, definitely wasn't anything on the the equation to make finals was a great step, and to get within a kick of a premiership would have been something else. But still, have to be satisfied with that spectacle. Yeah. So from a just a objective perspective, and guy the game itself was pretty exciting and everything as well. But yeah, like plenty to build on towards next year for for your lot so yeah hopefully there's a lot of positives to take away from that as well but yeah just given that you know over recent years we've had those establishment teams coming back towards the top of the table and you know we talked about it in the lead up into the final as well that you know given the acrimony around the coach's tenure and everything over the past few years and then building this new team from scratch essentially and 
basically, I think probably all but a couple of players were playing their first ever grand final in AFL. So, you know, getting that exposure and being in that spotlight and those moments, you know, it, it was pretty crucial. And yeah, I guess West Coast, perhaps their experience, given that they were in the 2015 grand final, if I'm correct, and being blown out by Hawthorne that year, you know, I guess there would have been a lot of wounds from that that they were looking to close up and they did a good job on the at the end of the day but yeah Collingwood did a pretty good job too which was good to see well West Coast deserving victors and uh, if Richmond weren't um, then West Coast certainly were the team of the year and when they needed to they, they got it right pretty flawlessly across that final series and to travel over to Melbourne again um, really um, all that talk about the home the higher team getting home ground advantage they did it the hard way in in that regard so there's no disputing their worthiness yeah exactly so looking over to the other side of the the pond now and I guess the NRL grand final was a complete blowout and it was the Sydney Roosters who blew the former premiers out to win 21 to 6 with only one try being scored by the Storm and um, yeah Storm just didn't show up on the day well first half at least first half yeah you know I guess it was sort of one there but even in the second half they just seemed a bit toothless in their attack and that's not taking anything away from Sydney Roosters their defense has been impeccable all season it's probably why you know it is the reason why they were minor premiers and you know Trent Robinson as well the coach has said that that's been a focus of theirs all year, despite having um, the likes of Cooper Cronk, James Tedesco as part of a pretty strong fo- uh, strong spine, sorry, with Luke Keary and Jake Friend there. But yeah, the defence has been impeccable all year for the Roosters, and that's why I, they probably were the better team on the day. But yeah, the Storm, it was just... It just seems so uncharacteristic from them, given that they're so clinical and in these big games that they're so strong. And, you know, the likes of Cameron Smith and then Billy Slater's last game as well. A bit sad to see he him go out on a, a losing note. But, yeah, you know, credit to the Roosters for getting the job done. You do have to wonder without taking <coughs> a spotlight off the Roosters how much that um, tribunal... Um, affair with um, Slater really impacted on preparations, took up a good half half a week there, having to go to and from Melbourne and, and Sydney, but that shouldn't be um, put in front as the reason why Melbourne dropped it. Roosters simply took them on at their own game and blew them off the park and probably rallied around that inspiration from Cooper Cronk to, to almost vindicate his bravery to, to get himself up there when he was putting probably quite a lot of um, long-term well-being at stake. Oh, yeah, broken um, or fractured shoulder or whatever in the end. Shoulder blade was the the injury that he sustained from the prelim the week earlier so to play like that he he wasn't even playing out there he could barely throw the ball he was ma- merely just like a second coach on the field so you know I mean that's where the credit I guess has to go more so to to Luke Keary doing the role of a 5'8 than a half back as well doing uh, uh, filling in Kronk's position as well but yeah Kronk being the the field general if you will and I guess Ultimately, what the Premiership does is vindicate um, uh, the decision to get Kronk and James Tedesco over because, yeah, they've both been star players. And I guess, you know, if they didn't win this Premiership, you would have asked a lot of questions about Trent Robinson as a coach, having these big-name players come over. And, yeah, in the end, you know, it vindicates everything that the Roosters have done in the preseason. And, uh, yeah, to to win the Premiership as well, Um 
sadly Melbourne denied the opportunity to have a back-to-back as well. Oh, two flags now for Trent Robinson in six seasons, so he's certainly cemented his his place and that, that legacy. And for the, the Storm, they're so often there in the, the final game of the season, but again, they, they seem to come up short when it counts, so they'll be frustrated. They haven't been able to convert all of these appearances, and nevertheless, they should be back next season with a hopeful transition there. Smith can be convinced to hang around for, for one more year at least with, with Slater now hanging up the boots and just continue that um, seamless transition to the next generation and you hope they've been able to really absorb um, from the best over the past decade really and they continue on a, a new chapter. Yeah, exactly. And I guess um, you could probably talk about Smith and the likes of Cameron Munster in the grand final. Just, I mean, Cameron Munster had a dog of a game completely. He was in the sin bin twice. And then when you look at the stats as well, Cameron Smith didn't even get a single run all game. So when Smith doesn't get a run, you know something is wrong. So yeah, just... Um, didn't live up to the thriller that we had hoped it to be. Two of the best teams of the modern era um, finished first and second on the table, of course, as well. But yeah, it was the Roosters who won the minor premiership that went on to to clinch that um, premiership too. And I guess for Boyd Cordner as well, the captain of the Roosters, it's been a, a sensational year given that he was the origin winning captain for New South Wales, winning captain for the premiership with the Sydney Roosters. And now given Greg Inglis's little uh, indiscretion during the week, um, Boyd Cordner will be captain of the national team as well when they play their tests against Tonga and New Zealand at the end of the year. So, you know, he's had a remarkable season too, you could say. And the monkey off the back of the Roosters as being a, a glamour club. They, they've proven now that they can get the job done. Yeah, exactly. So another year of footy capped off, I guess, you know, um, emphatic year for both codes as well. And hopefully next year we can see, I guess, a similar level of unpredictability and also excitement as well. And for, for me personally, it would be nice to see... Uh, uh, the Cowboys back up in there in the NRL. But yeah, for, for Collingwood, you know, just hope they go from strength to strength next year as well and hope they don't suffer a case of the uh, the West Coast Bulldogs did after their grand final win in 2016. So, yeah. Yeah, probably a bit of a a time to reflect in, in that off-season between that and um, motorsport winding down. It's always nice to collect your breath and then go at it again 2019 and hopefully there's some more spectacular narratives which can be written i guess the positive thing about coming out of motorsport season and also footy season as well that we've got uh the warmer weather coming so that's going to be great so no more waking up at six o'clock in the morning freezing and whatnot so you know there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel even if it means we have to give up the racing for for a few months anyway over the summer but yeah um I guess that's it for this uh, edition. So thanks for tuning in. We look forward to being back next week to wrap up whatever happens in Japan, of course, the Bathurst 1000 to talk about too. So yeah, it almost seems like, you know, it, it almost seems like, yeah, after this podcast, it's going to be winding down for the rest of the year, given the um, given the state of the F1 championship as well and could be wrapped up within by the end of the month, you think. So yeah, I guess in reflection, you know, there's plenty to discuss still, but yeah, we'll look forward to being back next week to talk about what's happened this weekend yeah bring it on until then thank you very much